on today's episode. My husband and I had this bright idea of putting our jobs and buying one-way tickets to Mexico to have this sort of incredible adventure. And we got here just in time for COVID. I can honestly say I don't necessarily think we would have uh, done the podcast and sort of really focused on the podcast uh, had it not have been quarantined in some way. Some people are literally taken from their homes in the United States. They're basically taken to the border, which is such a dangerous border, and they're told to walk. I'm David Bevis and you're listening to Mexico Over the Wall, a podcast about Mexico from the other side. My next guest is from Australia and has been living in Mexico since the end of last year. I'll let her introduce herself. My name is Nita Rao and I am a, I guess, podcast host slash journalist. Okay. And uh, what gave you the idea to start a podcast? So I was living in the US um, and working as a lawyer for a number of years. So I um, am originally from Australia, but moved to the States uh, in 2015, did a master's in the States. So I got my master's at Georgetown and then I worked as a lawyer in a big law firm. And then I basically quit Um, my job, my husband and I had this bright idea of quitting our jobs and buying one-way tickets to Mexico to have this sort of incredible adventure. And we got here just in time for COVID. So that was uh, not the adventure we thought we were having, but yeah, it's been really fun. So we we decided that once we got here and, you know, the adventure sort of ended, um, wouldn't it be cool to sort of start a podcast exploring some of the interesting themes and narratives around Mexico, which often don't get discussed in the foreign media and in foreign press. So we started a podcast called Lost in Mexico. And that's, yeah, that's what we, that's what we do at the moment. Okay. And do you also do uh, other things apart from the podcast? So actually, at the moment, we we've been doing mostly podcasting as well as um, like sort of learning Spanish. So we when we moved here, we couldn't speak a word of Spanish. So we literally came here and we're learning like Gomoistas, it was quite embarrassing for all concerned. We couldn't order a drink. It was really, really bad. And um, which is the, the mainly devastating part. But yeah, and so we basically uh, have just been doing podcasting and building this brand, Lost in Mexico, simultaneously while learning Spanish. And my husband does some uh, legal work for uh, refugees seeking asylum in at the border in Tijuana. So he does it all remotely. Yeah, but I gave up the law and I've sort of said goodbye to that career, which was terrifying, but definitely satisfying and, and probably better for my mental health, I would say. <laughs> what, what, was so, uh, what was so bad about uh, practicing law? Do you know what? It's, it's a profession that is, it's a very risk averse profession. It's a profession where, you know, you are really paid to, to sort of follow the rules. I know that sounds like a very strange thing to say because what else would a lawyer do? But it's it's it really is. It's not a particularly creative um, area, right? And I think I think I definitely was one of those people. I was a debate um, nerd, 
back in the day. And I thought, oh, I could see myself arguing in a courtroom. And I thought, wow, that would be an amazing career for me. And then I didn't really realize that law, you know, and I was working in litigation and, but I didn't really realize that law wasn't really about courtroom arguments for most people. And, and if you are lucky enough to get a courtroom argument, there's a lot more narrow and um, kind of boring uh, the nature of the argument than what's depicted in media. And so I was honestly, I think I was a bit naive, to be frank. When I went into law, I thought I would really love the oral advocacy part of it. And then I realized how small that part of it was. And then I also realized that I, it was also very just narrow. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly interesting. And I remember having, you know, these really interesting discussions with people about policy issues or issues that were happening in the world. And, and I really wanted to have those discussions. And that just is not, that's not a lawyer's job. A lawyer's job really is to find um, some type of uh, justification for their client's behaviour in the case of me because I was a defence lawyer and to sort of use the law as a framework in which to do so. So I, I don't know, it was not the most creative and I think that I just found myself becoming just really bored, you know, and, and I just needed to, I just needed a way out. What, what things have uh, have surprised you since you came to Mexico? So much, honestly, David, so much. I think I, you know, as you would know, right, the narratives around moving to Mexico are fairly negative. So you tell someone you're moving to Mexico and the response is pretty much like, well, you're going to be killed or someone's going to mug you or, you know, it's, it's pretty negative all around. Um, no one can possibly understand why you would want to live here. And, you know, it's interesting even with COVID because obviously there are huge problems with COVID in this country. Um, but I guess people forget that you know, there's some really smart people here who are really working to try and make the place better. And I think that um, sometimes I think in the West, when there is a made in Mexico brand on anything, it's necessarily associated with just poor quality. So, you know, even if I go and say to someone in Australia, I'm like, oh, I'm seeing a doctor. Um, you know, I had to go get a COVID test the other day. Um, I'm negative, thank God. But, you know, I had to go get a test and, and I said, oh, I'm going to go get a blood test. And they're like, oh, watch out for those like, you know, Mexican doctors. And I just sit there thinking, you know, they've got a great, uh, you know, obviously it's not necessarily accessible to everyone, but there are some really talented and really smart, talented people here who are at the, t- at the height of their profession. And I think that um, the thing that surprised me the most is is how much I find myself really vigorously defending how great Mexico is to the foreign world because I just think that a lot of I just I don't necessarily think the West is cotton on to how wonderful and magical a place this is and how many people here are so impressive and are really trying to make the world a better place. And and what what things have you found hard to adjust to? You know a lot like when we first got here definitely Spanish um you know we just didn't speak any Spanish and I think we were a little bit naive as to how easy we could get around without speaking Spanish. I think that it's easier for people who live in Tulum and very touristy areas, but if you're living in CDMX, you really do need to be able to speak Spanish to survive, I think. Um, and so that was definitely that. And and I think, you know, I think that Mexico is a really easy place to feel welcome, but I do think it's it's a little bit more complicated when it comes to building enduring friendships, not with expats. Does that make sense? So like, I think that often people come to Mexico and maybe fall in with the expat community, but it's another thing making friends with Mexicans. And that's because even though they're so friendly and so lovely as a sort of general rule, I don't mean to generalize, but I, you know, I, I love Mexicans, but it's hard trying to ingratiate yourself in a community when you are a foreigner. And I think that that's something um, that I've had to really uh, sort of 
build my ability to strength to sort of you know adapt to a new culture and adapt to a new way of friendship and that type of thing. But it is hard, you know. You really want to ingratiate yourself into sort of Mexican life, so to speak. But then naturally, you know, for a lot of Mexicans, they sit there thinking, well, like, you know, you're a foreigner. How long will you be here for? You know, and it is hard to really try and ingratiate yourself into a friendship circle when as a foreigner you might automatically be seen as sort of a temporary entrant as opposed to somebody who really wanted to build, wants to build roots in the country. Yeah. And the longer we've stayed here, the better we've gotten it, to be honest. Excellent. Um, what, whereabouts in Mexico City are you? So I live in Roma Sur. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, an amazing area. I love it. It's sort of right near Condesa, right? Sort of near 15 minutes away from Parque Mexico. And uh, and what what's the kind of, um, what does the neighborhood feel like to you? What's what's the kind of atmosphere? Oh, it's great. It's really great. It's It's got sort of the wonderful charm of living in Roma in that it's very artistic. And, you know, there's so many uh, sort of wonderful there's just a lot of diversity, but it doesn't necessarily feel too fresa, if you get me. Like it doesn't feel too bougie and too um, overrun by expats, to be frank. So it's this wonderful, um, homey kind of um, feel mixed with this like sort of cool artistic vibe, if you get me. Mm-hmm. Totally. So it's yeah, just just near enough to to where the cool places are, but not not too near the expats. exactly. <laughs> And how did you end up in Mexico City? I ended up here. I started off teaching English. Uh, a friend yeah. of mine, a Mexican from who lives in England, she she knew of a job here, and I came over to do like six months in a primary school, and I uh, stayed here teaching English, but to adults uh, in companies, that kind of stuff. And then uh, a few years ago, I set up a translations agency, and that's what I what I do now: uh, translations. So did you learn all your Spanish in Mexico then? I did actually. I did know a little bit before I came here, but like, you know, phrasebook Spanish, really. And I took uh, intensive lessons for about six months. And Mexican Spanish is its own beast. You oh, know, yeah. it's, it's its own beast. It's funny. That's actually another thing that I will say has been really challenging. You think, I think learning a language is a really, what can I say? It's like a, it, it's a grind, but it's a real process of like, I don't mean to get too existential, but it's kind of a character development process, don't you think? Like you really think that you're making progress. You think you're doing really well and then you'll go out with a bunch of Mexicans and everyone will be speaking in slang and you are just like, I have no idea what you are saying. And, and I remember like, so, and you've really got to sort of, I suppose, believe in yourself enough to, to push through that because it can be really easy at that point to go, oh, this is just so hard. Like I can't, I just, like I can't, you know, I, I remember distinctly, um, there was this one time, maybe it was like three or four months ago, and I was, uh, I thought I was making great improvement in Spanish. You know, I was taking classes every day for three hours. So I was working with a private tutor. Um, so working my guts out to get better. And I distinctly remember going to a party and I'm sitting there with a bunch of Mexicans. It's all going well. I'm following everything. I'm like, this is perfect. Then there is this entire conversation with which I went on for about an hour and a half. And they kept talking about mi jefe. And I just assumed they were talking about their boss, right? So I'm like, okay, they're talking about work. Little did I know that jefe is also slang for like dad, right? So I had no idea that they were talking about like someone's dad the entire time. And obviously it changes the entire meaning of the conversation if you're talking about your boss versus you're talking about your father. So I I just, it was really like, oh gosh, Uh I'm just back to square one, you know? (laughs) I have many of those experiences. Yeah, yeah. I think meeting uh, my brother-in-law, uh, well, he wasn't then, but later became a brother-in-law, and he he just uh, said, uh, "Qué tal la chamba?" 
I was like, what? <laughs> this is not a word I've come across before at all in my classes. No. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So it's hard and you, but you've really got to push through it. And I think once you do, um, it is so exciting. You know, it really is. There's that moment of, I, I had this moment the other day where I sat there watching um, like a, just a Mexican television show. And I just felt real excitement because I really understood everything that was going on. And there's a moment where you sort of, where you're like, oh, I get it. I, I'm, I'm good. You know, like I, I'm doing well here. And it's quite an exhilarating moment, I think. Yeah. What do you like about living in Mexico? Oh, that's a great question. Everything. So the food is unbelievable. Um, and it's funny, actually, I was having this conversation the other day with my husband, and I'm not sure if you feel the same way. I feel like Mexicans talk about food a lot. Like, don't you think there's just a lot of conversations about food, probably more than I've ever experienced in my life. But the way in which Mexicans talk about food, I I find really, it really just showcases um, sort of the genuine love of food in this country, you know, like, and the food is just, I mean, as you know, it's just incredible. It really is. It's probably my favorite food in the world. It's amazing. And, but it's the way, for example, you know, I think that there is a very authentic and genuine love and appreciation for food and, um, and drink in this country. And it's really lovely, particularly in comparison to, for example, I was living in New York for a little bit of time. And one thing you find in New York is a lot of the conversations about food are very kind of classist or very much based on, oh, have you been to this cool restaurant or have you been to this cool restaurant? Not necessarily about the actual food, but just about this sort of one-upmanship of saying, um, I've been to this really cool restaurant or I've been to that really cool bar. Whereas in Mexico, it's really not like that. People, you know, happily just love eating tacos, you know, from street stalls and from, you know, vendors who are very low-key. And it really is just about the quality of the food. It's really just about the tacos um, or about, you know, the mole or whatever it's about. But it's, I love that. And so the food is unbelievable. Um, I just love Mexican culture and Mexican society. It's it's a real transition for me from living in the on the East Coast in the US. So, you know, the East Coast of the US, and I was living in, in DC, and then I did a priest into New York, but those cities are very, very much based on, you know, what job do you do? You know, people are really categorized according to those things. And I find that in Mexico, at least, no one, you know, it's funny because we came here without really a clear plan. And obviously, we started this podcast and things like that. But no one has ever asked me what we do. No one has ever asked us or sort of said to us like, oh, you're not, you're not formally employed at the moment and or had some concern or, you know, no one cares. And, and it's funny because I look a lot of, I look at a lot of our friends in Mexico and I do, I can't tell you what they do. And it doesn't matter those things like, you know, what job you do or um, what area you live in. They're all very kind of superficial uh, sort of categories that we put people in. Right. And they not really, don't really tell us that much about people. And I think Mexicans are really excellent at looking beyond um, those superficial traits to actually see who the person is. And, and I love that about living here. It just, it feels a lot more, liberating and a lot freer yeah 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 i, I remember somebody somebody mentioned that the other day yeah in the uk the first question you ask anybody is what you do 100 <laughs> percent. and in mexico i don't think anyone really has asked us what we do like i think people just sort of will ask you know where are you from and how long have you been in mexico for where do you like what you know what neighborhoods do you like exploring that type of thing but nobody ever asks us what do, no one has ever said to us like what do you do and nobody's ever sort of expressed judgment or concern or anything about the fact that 
you know, we used to be lawyers in the US and now we're no longer. It, it doesn't really matter to, to anyone. And I, I love that. You know, it's, it's this really lovely, um, freeing kind of mentality, I think. Yeah. I've noticed one thing here. Uh, if you say you've got a lot of work, they say, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you say that in the in the UK, they say, "Oh, no, poor poor you." You've got. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I just think you know, I don't know. I think Australia and the UK. I, I you know I have spent some time in the UK, and I'm, I'm not going to have a dig at British people, even though I'm an Australian, and you would expect me to do that. But um, you know, I, I do think that sometimes in Western cultures, people do take themselves very seriously. So you know, for example, do you know what I mean? Like you can't really. I don't know, like you, like in Britain, it's it's quite a, um, you know, there's sort of this culture of don't make a scene and don't, you know, don't do anything like that. And I do love the way that in Mexican culture, nobody, people really don't necessarily take themselves so seriously. So nothing is really that big a deal. And, I, and it's really liberating and really lovely. Like you see somebody do something silly in public and you just sort of say to yourself, oh, they're just having a good time. Like, you know, like, let them go whereas in the uk in particular it's a little bit like oh don't make a scene you know don't <laughs> it's quite hard for me going back yeah it's quite a it's, yeah it's hard uh kind of fitting into that structured way of living it's uh yeah yeah it's how difficult. long have you been here for i've been here uh, since 98 so over wow. 20 years yeah yeah so, wow so you're yeah. basically mexican now. basically mexican yeah yeah um and and for a long time, I, I really didn't sort of hang out with anybody else um, from anywhere but Mexico. So it's, it's kind of strange sort of sort of coming back and speaking to people in English and stuff like that. It's kind of, it feels weird sometimes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. But do you speak Spanish now like a Mexican? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I'll ever speak it like a Mexican because I obviously learned when I was an adult. But I, you know, I can understand. I can follow conversation. I can, you know, I don't have, yeah. I can live... If I didn't have to work, I could probably pass all my time speaking Spanish, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's a beautiful language, isn't it? It is. It is. Well, I do remember when I was, when I started learning, it was very tiring, I think. It was physically physically so tiring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, completely. You just get exhausted, you know. You spend um you know, I remember last week I was out and it was funny, it was me uh a Ukrainian girl who's actually it's she's a, an amazing character, but she's a friend of mine and she's um <laughs> crazy story she was just a this very tall very beautiful ukrainian girl who was a backpacker in mexico fell in love with the place then realized that you know she could potentially work as a telenovela actress here so she's been like doing that so she's got a crazy amazing story and anyways she speaks spanish perfectly but with this very thick ukrainian accent which is as sort of adorable as it sounds um and so it was me her another ukrainian girl who speaks perfect spanish and all of us were sitting around speaking in spanish and it was it was great, but it's it is tiring. You know, by the end of like four hours, you're like, oh god, my mind is a little bit. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, how has the uh, the current situation in Mexico affected what you do? A lot, and I think potentially for the better. So it was funny. So COVID um, has before COVID, we were very much. Uh, going out, living life, just living the dream. You know, we'd quit our jobs as, you know, as lawyers in the US, which were these very regimented, very structured, very disciplined lives and, um, and moved to Mexico. And, you know, it was very, our lives in the US were, I wouldn't say they were necessarily, we had some amazing friends and, and, and I, I loved, the, I loved living in the US. I did, but it was very work focused, you know, like we probably spent every weekend at work. Um, my husband, 
Um, he went to Harvard for his master's and then after that he ended up becoming a public defender and so in Baltimore. So he was doing a lot of really important work, um, you know, with with poorer African-American communities in Baltimore. And so I was, you know, we were both just flat out. I was at a big law firm and he was doing his thing and our lives were just totally, uh, I wouldn't say they were fun. They were very, very um, focused. So we got to Mexico and then we had this sort of like catharsis, you know, we were sort of going out all the time and um, just loving Mexico and, and enjoying all the beautiful things about it. And then COVID happened, which kind of forced us into quarantine. Um, I can honestly say I don't necessarily think we would have uh, done the podcast and sort of really focused on the podcast and marketed it so heavily and done all the things that we've, we've really done for the podcast um, and, and tried to build the brand in the way that we have. Uh, had not it been for quarantine in some way. So even though it has been unbelievable devastation and, you know, my heart absolutely breaks for everything that is going on in the world right now, you know, personally for us, it probably did give us the mental space. The quarantine gave us the mental space to really focus on, um, to really focus on the podcast. So, you know, in some ways I'm, uh, you know, I'm devastated that it's happened, but, you know, you always make the most out of whatever situation you've been in. And I'm, I'm, I guess I feel proud that we've done that. Um, Though, you know, it's just been, I mean, it's just, especially the statistics in Mexico, it's just so sad. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has, has it been a uh, quite difficult way where you live or not? You know, it, it has and hasn't. I mean, nothing has really been open. So it, and, and people everywhere um, where we live, people are wearing masks and, and shields. And so it's a face shield, sorry. So it's not, it, it feels like people really are taking uh, the crisis very seriously. Uh, I'm not sure how it is where you are, but it is, it's difficult. You know, it, it is really difficult um, when you see, you know, and we did our very first episode of Lost in Mexico was about this issue, but, you know, you see people on the street vendors selling tortillas and, you know, tamales and um, knowing full well that there is no social safety net in this country, right? So, you know, there's that expression in Mexico, like, Mexico no es Europa, en México si tú no trabajas, tú no comes. So, and that is really true, isn't it? Like you, you really don't have any other option but to work, even during a quarantine, because there is no infrastructure to support you. And that is devastating. Um, so, you know, I feel this uh, sense of gratitude that we, we are in this extraordinarily privileged position where you even can keep a quarantine, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a certain section of society that, that can do it really, yeah. Exactly. And it is, and it is a privilege to be quarantined. I know that sounds really, uh, you know, and so there's a lot of, you know, I, I understand there's a lot of um, frustration with being in lockdown, there's frustration with the restrictions, but, you know, it is a privilege that we even have a home in which to do those things in. I'm, I, I mean, I'm internally grateful for that. I, I couldn't imagine um, having to continue to work and, and knowing that you're putting yourself at risk of getting sick in this type of pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been quite hard uh, for for us. Um, one one of the people that work for us is uh, is a messenger, and obviously he hasn't been able to work for the last I don't know how many months. <laughs> so we're just paying him to basically to stay at home. <laughs> that's what... right, exactly, and that's great that you're continuing to to oh, pay him to. Um, because yeah, no, totally you have to. But you know, it's hard because a lot of employers just don't have the funds to do it, and so it is it is all around just an incredibly heartbreaking. Um, it's just, it's just, the, it's just devastating the world. So it's, yeah, I think it's made me a lot more grateful. Actually, I would say, like, I think that particularly when I lived in the U.S. and I wouldn't say I was sort of a selfish person, but I think that 
when you work in these sort of law firms, which are go, 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 and very focused on billing and, um, you know, you're working all the time, you can become quite absorbed in your own bubble. And it, it can sometimes be a little bit harder to see past your own concerns. And this experience really has helped me, what's completely shattered that, to be honest with you. Like it's, um, and that's why I love about what I do now, which is, you know, talking to Mexicans about their lives. You know, our second episode of the podcast was about, was with members of the deported community um, who, people who'd been sort of ripped apart from their families in the United States after building lives there and sent back to Mexico under Trump, to the Trump administration. So you really start, you hear these stories and you really start to appreciate, have a greater appreciation for your own circumstances, I think. And that's one of the best life lessons you can, you can really learn. Yeah. Yeah. How do you go about um, finding the, the subjects to, to cover in your podcast? It's a great question. I, I think that honestly, it's a combination of things. A lot of it are just things that we're really interested in. Um, so just topics that I'm just personally interested in. So, you know, I think we were really interested in COVID. Obviously, that was that's like the most pressing issue of the day. So it would be reticent to ignore it. Um, so that was that topic. Um, our second episode was about members of the deported community. You know, that topic came about because uh, as a because I used to be a lawyer, I um, was basically helping an organization in Mexico City called Otra Streams Nacion, which is a um, organization for the deported for, for deportees, the people who have been forcibly returned to. Mexico. So I was doing work with them and um, just helping them with some advice on how to fill out particular documents um, to get their files back from their immigration files back from the United States. And in the process of uh, helping them, I sort of started to realize that there was this whole community of people that no one really ever talks about. And it's funny, I'm not sure about you, but before I moved to Mexico, if I heard that somebody had been deported, Quite frankly, I had no idea what happened to them. You know, it's like you sort of get, I don't know. It's like the sort of deportation always feels like this vortex, you know, that this hole that people fall into. But what actually happens after someone gets deported? What does someone's life look like after deportation? Those are the questions I was never able to answer. And those are the questions that really sparked my curiosity. And I sat there thinking, I really need to answer this. I I really want to find out what someone's life looks like. Um, So that's how I ended up doing that one and then our next episode is sort of about the evolution of Mexican television and that was you know again sparked through just inspiration from real life you know I mean that's something as you know being here there's no shortage of stories to write about Mexico you know it's it it's such a complex diverse and kind of contradictory country in some ways and there is a lot to say about life here I think yeah yeah there are definitely interesting subjects I hadn't I don't think I'd met anybody who'd been deported before, so it's interesting to to hear about what what happens. Yeah, right. Yeah. Neither had I. You know, I, I never had, and I feel quite embarrassed in saying that. But I just, I remember sitting there thinking, "Oh my gosh, I don't. What what actually happens when you get deported?" Like, I actually remember sitting there thinking, um, David, during the interview, and I I literally had to ask some people. I was like, "Okay, so once you get deported, like, how does it even work? Like, how do they actually physically?" deport you and and one thing one story which we couldn't include in the podcast for uh various reasons but one story someone told was about the fact that in certain circumstances some people are literally taken from their homes in the united states they're basically taken to the border which is such a dangerous border and they're told to walk and and they just walk it's not even as if they get it's not as even even as like i had this idea of being put on a plane 
and being sent back to Mexico City. No, like in a lot of cases, a lot of people are just taken to the border and they're told to get out and to walk. And mm. that is how, they, and, and it's obviously unbelievably dangerous because, you know, those borders are rife with gangs and rife with like cartel violence. And um, these are some of the most vulnerable people. And so it's just, it's insane. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, gosh, I have no idea that that is how, that is how some people actually get deported. You know, it just shocked me. Um, yeah. 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 Oh, I can't, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> couldn't imagine. And they get, and sometimes they're taken in the middle of the night. You know, yeah. it's not even as if people are taken at, um, at sort of during broad daylight. People are literally taken in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning to a border, which is the most, one of the most dangerous borders in the world and told to walk and then just walk to Mexico. Uh, and it's just it, it's just extraordinary i i couldn't actually believe that that's how it even happens no no um what, what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of coming to live in mexico oh do it do it immediately <laughs> if not sooner uh a lot i would say do not this this country is magical and it is incredible and it's extraordinarily complex i would say do not I guess do not be um, dissuaded by some of the negative narratives that come out from the foreign press about Mexico. You know, it's funny, I've spoken to some journalists who work for really reputable papers um, and they are Mexi the Mexico correspondents for those papers. And they always say that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but a lot of the media that does come out about Mexico is quite negative. And, um, and that's something which, uh, but, they, but they would say to me, they're like, but we love it here. You know, we love living here. This place is incredible and it's enriching and it's an incredible journalistic experience. Um, but often the things that you read about are quite negative. So I guess what I would say to somebody is um, do it. Uh, don't be dissuaded by some of the negative press that comes out about Mexico because it's not telling you the full story at all. Come here and see it for yourself um, because you will see how magical and incredible it is. And be really open-minded to to the new and distinctive culture you know Mexico is not like living in a western country it's not it's very different but it is one of the most eye-opening and intellectually enriching experiences I've ever had so I would recommend that everyone do it well <laughs> okay um finally um is there any other are there any other projects that you've got coming up or anything else you'd like to recommend well, we've got this interview, uh, you know, we've got our new podcast, uh, our next episode of the podcast coming out soon, which is going to be really exciting. We're actually interviewing um, Cristian Chavez, who is Mexico's, one of Mexico's first uh, uh, gay, openly gay television stars. He was on the telenovela and then he was part of this sort of Latin pop group called RBD. And then he was, um, most recently, he's been on La Casa de las Flores. So he is... Um, you know, with someone we we just interviewed, and it's going to be super exciting when we put that interview out because he's got a really uh, incredible and, and kind of wild story actually to tell. So I would really encourage everyone to please subscribe to the podcast Boston Mexico and please uh, look out for that. So I was talking there to Anita Rao, who lives in Mexico City. Over the course of this series, I'm going to be interviewing people from all over the place about their experiences of living in Mexico. If you live in Mexico and would like to take part, please get in touch by writing to feedback at mexicooverthewall.com or you can send us a voice message via Facebook Messenger at mexicooverthewall.com slash messenger. 
Please support the podcast by giving us a review, which you can do via mexicooverthewall.com slash apple for Apple Podcasts, if you have an iOS device or iTunes, or you can review us on Stitcher by going to mexicooverthewall.com slash Stitcher. You can also support us with hard cash by sponsoring us on Patreon. One of the benefits of sponsorship is that you can get extended versions of these interviews. Go to patreon.com slash mexicooverthewall for more details. That's it for this episode. Hope you liked it. See you next time. Thank you.